The views and opinions expressed on WXOJLP are solely those of the original hosts of their respective programs. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Valley Free Radio Incorporated, its volunteers, or any other hosts, guests, or programs on this station. And welcome to another episode of Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow, and I'm hosting the show tonight with uh, John Roberts. Hi. And uh, Sue Timberlake as well. Hey there. And we're here to talk more about the civility and the politics. Uh, oof. And... Uh, this is, I think, our fourth uh, coronavirus quarantine show. So uh, we've got it down to a science now. We hardly ever press the wrong buttons, and everything's wonderful. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so um, if you guys uh, have any questions or comments for us, uh, things you want us to talk about, we do love to hear from our listeners, and we do try to listen to you. So uh, you can get in touch with us in a few different ways. Uh, we can be reached uh, by email. Uh, Civil Politics Radio at valleyfreeradio.org, uh, at Civil Politics FM on Twitter, and Facebook.com slash Civil Politics Radio is our community there. We do also have our own website, civilpoliticsradio.com, and that's got uh, previous episodes of the show, uh, supplemental episodes like the interview with Jenna Lewis, a uh, candidate for the uh, Washington, D.C. City Council at large who also happens to be John Rose cousin. So you've got a nice long interview with her talking about politics in DC. And uh, yeah, good stuff like that. So um, I just want to say happy 1st of May. Yes, oh. indeed. Is it May Day? <laughs> uh, May Day is That's what the 5th, isn't it? No, I thought That's... May Day is, the, is, is today, the 1st. Well, there you go. Yeah, and, and Monday is is the fourth, so May the fourth is um, going to be with us. <laughs> yes, but it, I think it's the dark side of the fourth in this case. Uh, no, oh. that's the fifth. Right. <laughs> it's May the fourth and return of the fifth. Oh, I see. So uh, I haven't actually, uh, you know, I, I I don't know what the the news media's. Uh, going to ultimately report about this, but there have been rumblings about a general strike today uh, being organized by workers at Amazon and McDonald's and things like that. I don't oh, know wow. how this is actually playing out, but uh, I have seen people talking about it on Twitter and trying to organize things. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if this is uh, uh, blowing up or not, but we'll, we'll see. Probably, uh, you know, after we get off the air and whatnot, we'll be able to find out. But anyway. Um, is that essential workers of the world unite kind of thing for May Day? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that's uh, I think that's good, honestly. I mean, obviously, we need essential workers. That's why they're essential. But uh, I think this is an excellent time for them to use the leverage they have to fix some of the terrible inequalities that are uh, besetting our, our society and, uh, you know, screwing over the people who are doing the work that we actually need to do. <clears throat> and I, I think 
uh, this crisis is really doing a, a wonderful uh, job of, as the Marxists would say, highlighting the contradictions. Because, y you know, people who uh, flip burgers at McDonald's or uh, uh, put groceries on the shelves at the, at the supermarket or, uh, you know, pack boxes in an Amazon warehouse, it's like, oh, yeah, well, those people, those are, you know, working class jobs, whatever, you know, uh, th they're not highly respected jobs and people don't think they're terribly important and nobody, uh, well, I won't say nobody, but they don't seem to be, doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, societal uh, impetus to uh, uh, pay those people more and give them better benefits and shorter hours and, and so forth. Um, you remember that uh, decision? I think it was a Supreme Court decision a few years ago that um, Amazon uh, warehouse employees, uh, that Amazon was allowed to stop and search their employees as they left work at the end of the day to make sure that they weren't stealing anything. And uh, the employees sued, not the, not because they said, well, you know, they, you can't do this. They were like, okay, fine. You know, you're not the government. We don't have to work here. So fine. You can make that a condition of our employment. But since we're standing around having to wait while you do this search, we should be getting paid. This is part of our job requirements. And the court ruled, no, the court's like, no, no, that's fine. They can insist you clock out first and then make you submit to a search. That's, that's fine. I didn't. I don't remember that one. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In uh, 2014. Hey, yep. There, there is a Madison Avenue um, uh, marketing strategy that includes essential workers. It's from quite a while ago, but you guys will remember it because it's when Dunkin' Donuts switched from being sort of coffee and donuts to um, people run on Dunkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm -hmm. all the working class folks. It's really an effective campaign, marketing campaign. They still use it to this day, that tagline. Oh, yeah. With the world runs on Duncan. So at least somebody recognized there was a huge market force there. Well, what I, well, so what I think, another thing I thought was really interesting and upsetting was some states don't have shelter in place orders. Uh, they're all with Republican governors. And uh, some of them are, some of those governors are even saying like, well, it's time to reopen and get people back to work. And one of them is Iowa. And the governor of Iowa said, look, if you work for a company, a business that is reopening and you decide that you don't want to go to work because you're worried about the coronavirus, uh, they can fire you. And that is going to be listed as you Vol, you know, choosing to quit. So you won't be eligible for unemployment benefits if you won't go back to work because you're afraid of the coronavirus. So what are you Democrats going to do about all this, Mr. Biden and whoever he chooses for a running mate? Uh, <laughs> and there's not much there's not much the Democrats can do right now since they won't, you know, yeah. vote because they won't come back to people don't want to come back to D.C., so That's a good point. <laughs> well, and uh, uh, at the level of the, the state governments, uh, there's not much, uh, you know, as a national organization, the Democrats or the Democratic Party can do. I mean, you know, I don't, 
I don't know much about the the state of Iowa. I'll be honest. So I don't know how the state legislature is composed. But if it's, uh, you know, unless the state legislature uh, is like Massachusetts, where it's a supermajority of Democrats, so anything the Republican governor does can be overruled by the democratically controlled legislature. Uh, the Democrats can't really do much of anything about Iowa except, you know, point and shame and wait till November to vote them out. Well, you know? I kind of think you could put something in your platform that, you know, decried it. That would be good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But I don't uh, know who's writing your platform this year. <laughs> well, uh, actually, one of our listeners, uh, uh, sent us a message uh, last week that I totally forgot to talk about. But um, apparently uh, the uh, people working for Joe Biden's campaign ha are teaming up with people who were working for Bernie Sanders's campaign. And they fo formed six joint working committees to address uh, what the party's position should be on health care, education, uh, economic reform, criminal justice reform, immigration reform, and climate change. Uh, so I think that's, I mean, that's, that is, uh, to me, unalloyed good news. Um, yeah. You know, ju just one of, well, I've made the comparison between Joe Biden and Captain John Smith of the Titanic before, uh, simply because uh you know, Biden's Biden may have a good heart, but I don't think he's he's got the the experience or the the mindset to deal with these new challenges. And uh, despite the fact that he's uh, an, you know an, an old man himself, uh, Bernie Sanders does, and the kind of people he's got in his campaign do as well. So I think that's I think that's excellent. I'm I'm really hoping that we get a truly progressive uh, campaign platform out of all of this. Yeah. I doubt it. Me a, lot, a lot of topics that could be listed there. Yeah. Well, climate change is uh, uh, still a huge, huge problem, uh, even though uh, it's, it's nice that uh, uh, carbon emissions have fallen rather significantly over the course of this year because of the uh, the shut the economic shutdown because of the coronavirus, but uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, how long do, do you think before we start having, uh, uh, you know, the typical the, the you know the new normal of weather related disasters? Oh yeah. Well, we sure we've sure had a few. So, but you think some of the us staying at home may moderate it a little bit? Oh. Just it's it just, well, carbon emissions are down, but I mean the 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 world's weather system is uh, is complex and doesn't stop on a dime. So, uh, you know, I don't know what what difference this is going to make. Uh, at least in terms of our immediate issues and concerns. So I was looking at the Iowa law just quickly because later we we might talk about quarantine, and so if if. Uh, if you thought you should stay home and the this, this city's like putting in a quarantine or isolation, you're going to see where I'm going in a second with this. Yeah. Um, a person forced to quarantine, um, they can hire their own doctor to argue the opposite. So there might be a lot of doctors that will help those people in plants that don't want to go to work because it's right in the Iowa public health law. 
but it's at the state level. So as you said before. Wait, but the Iowa public health law is if you have been told to quarantine, you can get a doctor to say you shouldn't. Yeah. But can you, if you've been told not to, can you get a doctor to say you should? Is that also part of the? It it doesn't. This is just a little synopsis. But I would argue that if you got the one right, you should have the other right. The opposite. Uh, that makes a certain logical sense. I have no idea if that has anything to do with the law in Iowa, but you know. But that's funny. That's one of the few that says you can get your own opinion. <laughs> yeah. You have a right to somebody to argue your your side. So it kind of puts it like in court, the, you know, some sort of a process. But I think that's terrible, though, to say we're going to open up and you, you know, you have to come to work or you're fired. <clears throat> well, arguably, that's the whole point of uh, various governors who seem to be in you know, Republican controlled states uh, saying we need to reopen or, uh, uh, you know, aren't ordering shutdowns or whatever, because that does limit the the, the demand on their uh, unemployment insurance in the state. And, uh, uh, you know, the unemployment benefits that uh, states provide uh, are the states have a lot of latitude in that. And, you know, states like Florida, for example, uh really work hard to to provide as as few benefits as possible to the to as few people as possible so sort of par for the course sort of on the similar vein but maybe a little obscure you know how they have ordered the um, meat packing plants to stay open you know the trump turner executive order i was trying to figure out why the head of tyson put that in the newspaper you know, be really afraid, people. The you know the food industry is falling apart. The you know we're going to lose our food network and be really really afraid. I'm like, why would a part you know a packing plant do that? And I'm like, oh, they want the prices to go up, and they want no liability for all the people that get hurt by the virus. And they got Trump to sign a no liability clause for them. Yep. So, oh boy. <laughs> So those poor folks, you know, if they get sick, will have no recourse because the the plan won't be liable because they didn't give them PPE, and you know, the government's not liable. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a we're seeing the worst of our country and the best at the same time. We definitely are yeah. seeing the worst, and one of the one of the the really sad things is we wouldn't have to see the worst. This is. There, there's, it's very, it's very reasonable to just, just say like, we, our federal government is, is, is run by, by a bunch of idiots right now, and they are barely doing anything correctly, uh, and it's just sad. It's just sad to watch. Well, do you think they're really trying to divide people even more than they already have? I mean, do you think that's sort of the? It it just seems like the pot gets stirred every day. Well, they uh, they're every- using the um they're using this for political gain, obviously. Um, that's part of the reason why there was daily coronavirus updates it was just to because Trump liked them, you know. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of he's he's visiting Arizona and and Ohio probably next week 
uh, which are battleground states. You know, th- these are he's he's completely focused on the election, basically. I guess the polls haven't been that great lately for him. He's at like forty nine percent at most. He's never cracked fifty percent um, of of uh, uh, on the electorate. The like ever. he's yeah. ever he's never passed fifty percent um, job approval, like of his entire presidency. It's insane. Yeah, he said that his the wrong direction is pretty high for him right now. That people think we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. I think there was an interesting uh, article in, I think it was Politico, that um, talked about um, polling in a particular uh, uh, group of voters that uh, uh, was uh, important in 2016, or the the equivalent uh, demographic. So um, in 2016, uh, you know, with Trump and Hillary Clinton, you had two historically unpopular and disliked candidates. And so you had a small but noteworthy uh, percentage of the electorate who were voters who hated both of them. And uh, at the last minute, that, oh God, I hate both of them, electorate uh, overwhelmingly broke and voted for Trump, or more to the point, voted against Hillary. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the article in Politico makes the, uh, connection, which, which I agree with, but obviously others can disagree, uh, that, uh, it was because of James Comey saying, oh, well, it turns out there's more to this Hillary Clinton email scandal than we originally thought, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. There. Right oh, the there October surprise. The- yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there are not nearly as many people who hate Joe Biden the way people have been conditioned to hate Hillary Clinton. But there are people out there who hate Biden and who hate Trump. And what's interesting is apparently the breakdown of those voters is currently about 75 for Biden, 25 for Trump. Oh, so, so we go the other way. Biden in a win. big margin. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you know, and that is kind of where we are politically. I mean, I don't hate Joe Biden, but, you know, uh, as the uh, uh, accusations by Tara Reid pick up, uh, finally pick up visibility and uh, uh, get more uh, discussion in public, uh, as I think I said last week, you know, I I, I believe Tara Reid and I believe Summer Zervos and uh, uh, Ivana Trump and uh, all the other women who've made accusations about Donald Trump. And so it sort of comes down to which one of these people I think has been credibly accused of rape do I want to vote against? Well, uh, I, I want to vote against Trump far more than I want to vote against Joe Biden, though I do want to vote against Joe Biden. You know, but, like there's a reason why he was not anywhere near my top choice to be the Democratic nominee. Well, we did but vote against act- Joe Biden or we didn't vote I, for Joe Biden. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. You had that chance. Yeah. I did. And I voted for Warren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's just uh, uh if it comes down to uh, that, if it actually comes down to Biden versus Trump in November, 
I think the choice is clear. Uh, I, I would like to sit it out and say a plague on both their houses, but, uh, you know, there's what, 60,000 Americans dead of the coronavirus right now? I think uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Also, so, sitting out does nothing unless you have uh, about maybe 20 million people doing the same thing. I. Uh, yeah, I, I mean that that that's a that's another thing. But I mean, you know, not affirmatively voting for uh, Trump is, you know, is not voting for him. You know, I mean, it's it's there are reasons not to to sit it out, as I was talking about. You know, like I'm not planning to sit it out. But if I honestly thought it was sort of like, oh yeah, you know, it's Tweedledum versus Tweedledee, you know. Uh, you know, if it was Joe Biden versus Bo Jiden for the Republicans, you know, be like, eh, well, whatever, you know. Yeah, if you <laughs> but don't, it's if not. you choose not to vote, then you're saying that you don't care who is the president. Right. Like right. that's that's and, what you're saying. I'm I am telling exactly. you right now. If you yeah, if yeah. you are not voting, then that is your choice. And I will never take that away from you. That is your choice. If you can vote and you're deciding not to vote then that means you don't care if it's Trump or uh, Stephen Amash, who just announced his, uh, an exploratory Justin. committee. Justin um, Amash. Ju uh, oh, yeah. Justin Amash, who uh, Congressman from Michigan, who left Michigan the Republican third, Party. That's correct. From quite recently, because uh, after reading the uh, Mueller report, he's like, oh, my God, we've got to impeach Trump. Yeah. <laughs> So, so he's, he's forming an exploratory committee. So if you don't vote, then you're OK with him being president or whoever gets the uh, the nomination for the Green Party. You don't you, it doesn't matter. You don't care. That's what it means when you decide not to vote. Right. And I, I do care. Yeah. And like I said, if, go ahead. I was saying, especially this year, we all care. Yeah. So would you, would you have gone for Weld versus Biden, or would you don't you don't have a? Uh, you mean if if Bill Weld were actually the uh, the Republican nominee on the ballot in November, I would yeah, give Weld a. I I would certainly look very hard at Bill Weld. Uh, I haven't heard any uh, allegations of rape against him for one thing. Nor have I, but sometimes you have to get a high profile before they come out. I I know. So so assuming Bill Weld. Is not a a likely sex criminal, and he were the Republican nominee running against Joe Biden. Yeah, I think I'd probably vote for Bill Weld. But really? I mean, you know, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I mean, this this matters, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I I don't I don't want to vote for for a rapist, or I wouldn't want to vote for a murderer either. You know, I mean. I, I just I, I, I think there are standards. I think it does matter. And the yeah. same reason why I thought Brett Kavanaugh was an appallingly bad choice to be a Supreme Court justice. Um, you know, those reasons also uh, apply to somebody becoming president, you know. Yeah. But if, if again, if the choice is between uh, Joe Biden or even worse, Donald Trump, well, then, yeah, Joe Biden. And I'll go out there and I'll campaign for him. But I'm not going to pretend that I'm like, no, Biden's fine. No, this is there's no big deal. It's like, uh, 
you know, I like because like, it's not just a matter of what I want. It's not just a matter of what I choose. It's, you know, we're all in this together as a society. And, uh, you know, the 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 lefties, uh, the Democrats were voting and uh, as a group, we're picking who we want. And if that's Joe Biden, well, OK. Yeah. You know, I, that's not what I want, but that it, it's not entirely up to me. So uh, after all the primary process has sadly winnowed out all the better candidates, <laughs> I mean, and that seems to be what what's happened. So, I mean, if Biden's what's left, yeah, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll choose Biden and uh, continue to <laughs> shake my head at everybody else who thought, no, Biden's fine. And there are people who are even enthusiastic for him, which I find amazing. Yeah. And, you know, there might be a Supreme Court justice uh, nomination and appointment in the future. So, oh, there definitely will be. Oh, yeah. No, there's no question about that. There's at least Uh, one, maybe two, maybe even three. Well, can you imagine what will happen also uh, if some one of the Supreme Court justices catches the coronavirus? Oh, God. Could happen. Oh, God. It'll kill off the men because the women will do better, but just kidding. Well, I, I'm not sure that anything short of a bolt from the heavens could kill Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so yeah. But. <laughs> she's amazing. I, I've never seen anybody survive all the stuff she's survived. She's a force of nature. Yes, I I continue to be impressed by her. You know, you sent us an article, Mike, about the... Um, that school program that people are, are having to use, you know, it's like a, a virtual. Oh, that, like exam proctoring service. I think it was called Examity. Examity, yes. Examity. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of weird because right now the public schools didn't have good solutions. So they're kind of, you know, it's sort of like the um, the uh, antigen testing kits. They let, you know, they let down all the rules so that people could get the kits out. No, they let down all the rules so the schools could just make up what the curriculum was. Yeah. And uh, and it's one of those times where, you know, the piece you said, it looked like they were asking an awful lot of personal detail and, you know, giving up civil rights and permissions for the kids to use this. Yeah. I just, you know, if the Supreme Court would even weigh in on something, they probably wouldn't, actually. Well, not unless someone sues. Yeah. Yeah, someone has but, to sue. They, they they can't take hypothetical cases. They have to actually deal with live issues. Yeah, so a little kiddo that doesn't get their school this year, so they dropped behind a year because they didn't want to sign up for something that was going to take all that information from them. And would you say possess their desktop, possess their computer? Or yeah, apparently, apparently you had to give over all kinds of access to your computer in order to do it. And of course that's presuming you're someone who actually has a computer in your home and is able to have a stable internet connection and so forth. Uh, I think, uh, I saw, I think, uh, a friend of mine who lives in Philadelphia posted this and I'm, I'm, you know, I, so I haven't confirmed it with one of our trusted news sources, but apparently, uh, uh, the public school system in in Philadelphia was saying, like, look, if you can't get Wi-Fi at home, you know, use your laptop in the school parking lot and we'll, you can use the school's Wi-Fi from there. And they pointed out, you know, uh, uh, 
Comcast, I think it was, but you know, some major cable service has their headquarters here, and they're making billions of dollars in profits and not paying, you know, not paying any, uh, uh, you know, local sales tax or, or sorry, property tax on their business here and whatnot. So, uh, you know, exactly. maybe possibly they could come up with some kind of solution. So, um, unbelievable. Well, you know, this really has pointed out our deficiencies as a as um, it has, but one this more, is uh, one more thing before go we go. Uh, yeah, because we do we... have to wrap up, but we're at the halfway point. Yeah, um, I found an article from Billy Penn. I think it's just a, a local um, uh, newsletter kind of thing. A Philly schools remove parking lot Wi-Fi option after pushback. Superintendent Heights says it was never endorsed by the district. Oh, geez. <laughs> so uh, public. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a more like local um, news news thing. So I'll post that in the in the right. show notes along with everything else. Right, maybe true, but it isn't isn't one of our trusted news sources. So come grano salas, yes. as they say. Like Kushner saying, "This stockpile is our stockpile, not your stockpile." Well, it really strikes me as like, well, you know, if people are having if, if there isn't enough bread, let them eat cake, sir. There's a run on cake. What? No, don't give them cake. The cake is ours. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. It wasn't endorsed by Her Majesty. <laughs> anyway, this is we're, this is civil politics here on Valley Free Radio. We're going to take a quick break and have some cake and uh, play some PSAs, promos, and station IDs, and then we'll be back with more in just a couple minutes. Don't go away. We'll be right back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres, and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player, each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. Spring and summer are prime time for ticks that can spread Lyme disease and other infections. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention would like to remind you to wear bug repellent when outdoors, shower as soon as possible after coming indoors, and check your whole body for ticks every day. If you've been bitten by a tick and develop fever, rash, or fatigue, seek medical care. To learn more, visit www.cdc.gov slash Lyme. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's subculture music program featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXOJ or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow, still joined by John Roberts and Sue Timberlake, and we're talking about uh, 
Well, the, how the world continues to spin off kilter because of the coronavirus crisis, which is continuing on for ooh, at least another month. Uh, I forget exactly when Governor Baker uh, uh, extended the shelter-in-place order for here in Massachusetts, but it's at least another uh, four weeks, I think, from today, isn't it? Uh, uh, May 18th, but there's also one to June 30th, and they're different things. I don't know. I, I'm sorry, I don't have more specifics. But May 18th at the moment, and he may extend that. And then to the end of June, I forget what that is. It's certain um, certain other things that have to stay in place till then. So. Yeah. Uh, isn't the, so, the trend of new cases in Massachusetts, isn't it still increasing? Did I see that yeah. correctly? Yeah, it went up yesterday. Yep. Great. Great. Yeah, we're so. still at the, uh, uh, not the precipice, what is it? The zenith. <laughs> we're still humming along at the zenith, I yeah. think. And the, the the apex. We're continuing to climb to ascend. Oh, by the way, well, I looked it up. Uh, yeah, um, men are apparently more susceptible, or they they are there are more men that have been diagnosed with COVID than women, by a large degree. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is an artifact of. Uh, just how they're administering tests. Yeah. I think it's that Y chromosome. Yeah, it always keeps screwing us up. I mean, <laughs> for all I know, it, I mean, seriously, for all we know, it could be, you know? I mean, there, there's an awful lot about this uh, disease that is still, uh, you know, that that, that the, the scientists and experts are still figuring out. Um there was an article. God, did I? Did we already mention this about the the article out of Korea about uh, false positives? No, uh, we did not. Okay. Well, we, um, did. we talked about it, I think. But oh, okay. <clears throat> but well, our listeners may or may not have seen it. And obviously, again, this is another thing that I came across on the on the in the wilderlands of Twitter. And may you know is not from one of our trusted news sources, but. Uh, that doesn't mean it's wrong, uh, but just apparently the uh, uh, researchers in Korea, South Korea specifically, I guess, have have concluded that uh, people who are testing positive for the virus after they've recovered, uh, that those are effectively false positives, that it's simply uh, fragments of RNA from uh, destroyed viruses that have been killed yeah. by their immune system that are being picked up and not actually a current infection. Yeah, we're, we got a lot of work to do on this to sort it all out, I think. Yeah, but it does suggest that uh, it, it is a sort of a step in, uh, 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 or sorry, it's an argument or a, a bit of data suggesting that, uh, in fact, uh, people who get it may not be susceptible to get it again. Don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So along those same lines, um, it uses the virus uses the same receptors as some heart medications, blood pressure medications. Maybe that's why men are more susceptible because more of them are on high blood pressure medication than women. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just a you know, there's a million correlating factors. The question is, you know, what ones are causative? I guess. But that thing about um, rem. <laughs> rem is it I remdesivir? Can't I, I, I can't yeah. remember the name of the drug either. Yeah, but that's very interesting. And Fauci himself actually came out and said that it had promise. So I, I take that to the bank when he when he says something like that. So, so that's pretty good. 
But I guess we're kind of talking about the role of government. Like, what do we expect the government to do when, you know, the meat packing plant says you have to come to work, and if you don't, you don't get any unemployment benefits? Or, you know, your kids are home because one part of government told you you had to stay home because your kids aren't in school, and the other part of government says you have to go to work. I, You know, government is... Is, uh, it's not speaking with one voice at the moment. Well, no, and uh, we've remarked on this in, in previous weeks, and uh, yeah, it's really like uh, the, the, the Trump administration is sort of effectively recreating the Articles of Confederation because we uh, don't have a strong central authority because, you know, uh, frankly, the Trump administration doesn't know how to do that. You know, what they do know is how to run, you know, publicity and marketing, and uh, and effectively, therefore, do elections, and so that's that's really all they're focused on, and uh, all that really seems to concern the Trump administration is uh, is you know image control, you know. I mean, uh, Trump already seems to be trying to move the goalposts uh, by you know saying like, well, you know, sixty thousand dead, that's that's not so bad compared to a million or two million. Uh, uh, de- deaths that we could have had if we hadn't done anything, and it's like, well, um, yeah, sure, yeah, it could I be worse. That, I think the state governments are doing it too. You know, the local mayors have opinions, and the and the state governors are doing different things. I mean, there's a little bit of all of this is kind of shaking out at every level. Sort of, who do you expect to do what? You know, I'm not so sure anymore who I expect to do to do things. It's um, you know, sort of the whole. Who, who's, who's, who tells people to stay home and how under what authority do they tell them to stay home? Well, and that's a that's a fair point. And you actually uh, had looked at uh, some an article in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, there was some other stuff I think you were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, can you give us a, a, a quick breakdown on that? Because there, there is divided authority on the subject. Uh, I mean, legal authority, like different different states have different uh, laws in place. And the federal government has some powers but doesn't have, you know, broad unilateral powers. Like they, they have to work in concert with state authorities to to impose quarantines and then enforce them and so forth. Well, it you know, it's sort of interesting because Massachusetts is a really old – well, it's one of the original – but yes. it's, it's got much older laws than some of the other states. So it's funny here. They really defer down almost to the the city and town level Board of Health. Um, but I just wanted to do two quick definitions. The parish aldermen. We gotta we gotta see what the what they have to say. <laughs> well, they're always select men. I don't know how they chose those words, but they're select men. Um, <laughs> in in the, you hear it all the time. People are saying voluntary quarantine. And actually, the definition of quarantine is compulsory separation, yes. restriction, and all that. Um, and it's only for contagious disease, and it's really for a list of contagious diseases that have been listed in the law. Sort of interesting. And they do have SARS in there because they added it when you know we had SARS before. Yeah. Isolation is more of a voluntary uh, separation, and it's really to try and figure out if somebody has the disease or not. So it's sort of like those two, those two halves, and yet the state and the government have been able to quarantine people, a, a whole population. And I'm not really sure. There's some public health laws at the federal level, but when you really start to look at it, you know, there's huge holes in there 
And, you know, people believe that that can happen, but it's kind of funny. I wonder if it was ever tested, if it would really stand up. I mean, when you're afraid of a pandemic, everybody just salutes and says, yes, okay. But, you know, really the laws are very um, fragmented and have huge holes that you can drive trucks through. So, I mean, that's just sort of a place to start. Well, and speaking of driving trucks through, I think one thing is clear is that you don't have everybody just saluting and saying, yes, okay, in a pandemic. I mean, that's why we're seeing uh, protesters and people driving around and saying, like, you know, we refuse to be, uh, you know, I refuse to wear your face burqa, as uh, <laughs> one person I saw wrote on Twitter. It's like, oh, okay, well, that, that's, that's definitely a reasoned approach to the whole subject of protecting people from uh, disease, yes. Indeed. So wow. just looking at Massachusetts for a jumping off place, um, doctors can be fined if they fail to report some of those diseases or turn you in, you know, so that you, they know you need to be quarantined. But the fine is not less than $10 nor more than 100 And it is the town board of health that has the police powers. But if they make you stay home because you're sick in Massachusetts, um, you get um, you get three-fourths of your regular wages that the state has to pay you, provided that the amount so received shall not exceed $2 a day. So you can tell how old this law is. Yeah, this this dates back to the last uh, major uh, pandemic here in the U.S. about 100 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, you know, that's the, I got this from a review article, but that's the law that's on the book now. So, you know, it's, I mean, I guess that's why they pay you when you go to court, like a dollar, if you, you know, if your employer doesn't pay you a dollar a day or something. Because, you know, those laws have never been updated or changed. So Well, you get minimum wage if you, after three days. So, yeah. Well, yeah. so I'm actually reminded of, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Well, I don't know. Somebody smart uh, made the observation that um, one of the things that had sort of changed or been lost in the United States uh, following World War II was uh, a certain kind of uh, flexibility uh, that came with uh, not being already prepared and how that was in some ways, you know, like the, the pluses and minuses of that. And sorry, I'm not I'm explaining this well. So in a nutshell, what they said was, uh, World War II happened, you know, and the United States is like, well, we're all right, we're in a war. And um, we didn't have a huge standing army. We didn't have a vast arsenal of weapons already prepared and ready to go. And we certainly, what we did have left over from World War One was not really adequate to the challenge of World War II. Uh, well, those right. I'm sorry? The horses were pretty good shape. So oh yeah, no, the horses the horses were in fine fettle. Um, <laughs> and the downside of that is that there was a lot of time, you know, there was there was time and lives lost because we kind of learned through learned from experience. You know, we threw a whole bunch of our people and resources into the meat grinder and they got ground up. And the ones that came out okay, we we're like, all right, well that works, so we'll keep doing that. And uh and we had sort of a lot of uh, uh, learning on the fly and adapting as we went. But the upside was that we had people from all walks of life coming in and confronting the question of like, well, how do we 
go to war? How do we deal with Nazi Germany or J Japan? And, you know, what are the military, you know, what do we actually need to, to fight this war? And coming up with new solutions, you know, on the fly, in person and so forth. And by the end of it, we'd gotten pretty good at figuring out how to fight a, a big war like that. And because uh, of that and because of the concerns about the Soviet Union, we kept up the military apparatus that we built up in World War II, and we've never really demobilized from war footing. And that has problems for our society and our politics and our economy and so forth, which we can go on and on about. But, I, you know, Dwight Eisenhower probably summed it up nicely with the military industrial complex. But the coronavirus, in a way, uh, is hitting us in the same way that uh, World War II hit us, in that it's like, oh, uh, wow, here's a problem we haven't had to deal with in a while. Uh, and what we have on the books or in line around from the last time we had to deal with something this widespread and, and uh, effective uh, and, and pervasive is, uh, well, it's not really cutting the mustard. And uh, there's an awful lot of running around, uh, contradicting each other and bumping into walls and being stupid. And we're going to get better as we keep working at it. So well, that's very American. Two quick things. One is, um, you know, it's sort of the 14 year old that's on TV showing us how to make face masks with 3D printers. I mean, it's yeah. that fle flexible adaptability. Bernanke, Bernanke said the same thing about um, the crisis in 2008 and nine, that there were a lot of gray laws about what the Fed could do. And he had studied it. So he knew where all the loopholes were, and he, you know, he did a lot of things that have been changed now, so you couldn't exactly do them, you know, but he knew that they hadn't really, he thought about it, but they hadn't really thought about how to, how to stop like a run on the, on the, on the paper, not on the banks, but actually on the paper that floats everything. So that flexible adaptability, I mean, the American psyche really follows that a lot. I mean, we encourage people I mean, I, I see news stories all the time where some young person came up with a way to do something, you know, well beyond their years, and we celebrate them in this country. They're all over the news, you know, they get awards. It's, it's, a, it's a mentality of sort of, uh, you know, Americanism, of, you know, North Americanism. And it's, and it's a funny thing because in this kind of an environment, we actually fare pretty well with it because people – Hustle, and they, they, nobody told them they couldn't do it. They just, you know, they try and do it, whatever it is. So that's a very interesting analysis I hadn't heard before. Well, I'm not sure how clever it really is, but um, and how much it papers over sort of just failures and incompetence uh, on the part of our, our leaders. But, you know, to, to be fair, uh, Everybody, this is a new territory for just about everybody in our government. And even the people who seem to be uh, rising to the challenge uh, more effectively than others. I mean, Governor uh, Cuomo is uh, getting a lot of praise. But, you know, he did uh, uh, he did delay in uh, shutting down the state of New York uh, far longer than he should have. Uh, I mean, after all, New York uh, had far more cases than California, and yet he, you know, California shut down everything four days before New York did. So, 
Well, and Cuomo shut down de Blasio. De Blasio was trying to shut the city, and Cuomo told him he couldn't do it. And that it was, you know, it was the governor's role, not the mayor of New York's role. But, you know, everybody's forgiven him that, given what's happened since then. But, yeah, we do overlook the, the warts. Cuomo's lucky he's got a brother who works for CNN. It's getting him a lot of positive press coverage, I think. Well, you know, that, that press, that media specialist is worth their weight in gold if you want to develop your reputation. Well, and uh, it's certainly Cuomo's is, is doing a, a great job for him. Because yeah. I, I, I think there are other governors who deserve to be celebrated more than him. Like Jay- oh, Newsom, for sure. Newsom for or sure. Inslee. Yeah, Ainsley, good point. So, Johnny, didn't you mention that you thought Stacey Abrams had maybe a, a really active media promotion at the moment, or certainly getting a lot of good press? She has been she has been in a few articles um, and on uh, and on CNN. She's definitely getting getting some coaching from the campaign. She's definitely like becoming kind of a mouthpiece for the campaign. Um, but uh, she had this really interesting article in Roll Call, uh, RollCall.com, and uh, it one of the things was her favorite book was Atlas Shrugged, and it just made me think about, you know, the 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 Ayn Rand, yeah, seminal whatever thing for for objectivism. Anyway, uh, she she so, said. What you say? I said it's okay with me, as you know, because I like that with shrugs. Yeah, apparently. So uh, (laughs) it 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 was really interesting because the article was really painting her in a in a very good light in terms of um, working with Republicans, um, especially in her state, uh, to get to to get things done and. her um her history of being able to, to basically reach across the aisle uh and it it really seemed like she's trying she's really trying to sell herself uh, as the vp as a vp pick she's it's it's kind of like um a for your consideration campaign uh for the oscars i don't know if you guys know about that well she well, is uh, trying to get the best supporting politician role so Haha, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, she she's basically plastering herself um all over the place in uh and and really tr- and and it, it seems like she's really being able to control her narrative um with the places that she's interviewing, the 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 content of the interviews, some of the questions. So I really think that she has like a media team or something. Like so, like a, a group of people that she has like in the background to try to 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 polish up her image and and make her make her seem like she would be a a good pick uh, for for the vice pre- for specifically for Biden. Um, oh, interesting! This would be fun if she. I I think it would be great. I, what fun if she was the VP? I would, I just I think, think like what is she? What does she bring to the table? Um, she it might affect the um, uh, how uh, black people vote. It might affect um, maybe. It, I don't know how Biden is in Georgia, but if he's kind of weak in Georgia, then that she would bolster that. 
uh, but she doesn't help him. Certainly, it would make him make him stronger in Georgia, I would think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it would help him with that, but uh, I don't know what else she gives him in terms of electorally, because uh, I think his weakest places, uh, like the weakest areas are maybe like Florida and, and the Midwest. So I think Stacey Abrams, uh, uh, I mean, Biden uh, is the effective Democratic nominee in no small measure because he did really well with black voters in the Democratic primaries that have happened. Yeah, in like South Carolina specifically. But honestly, I do wonder how much voter enthusiasm there would be for Biden in terms of turnout uh, in November. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, you know, Joe Biden got, you know, a ton of black voters to vote for him in the Democratic primary. Sure. But, but like overall, in terms of actually swinging the general election, how's that going to work? And uh, I think one of the reasons why Barack Obama won in 2008 and 2012 is because a lot of people turned out to vote for him who hadn't otherwise because they're like, well, I'm going to vote for Barack. And I think Stacey Abrams might help generate some of that enthusiasm again in a demographic the Democrats absolutely can't win without. And that uh, needs to have a bigger voice in shaping American politics right now, frankly. I think if Joe Biden picks someone like her or at least someone younger, someone that um, has appeal and then he hints that he might not run again, I think that would really that would really change the game. Uh, interesting. Well, you know, I think she'd upstage him and that would be one worry. Geraldine Ferraro, she was a firecracker when Mondale picked her to be vice. And people came to see her. I mean, she was like Obama. People were going to see who this person was. And she was really articulate and, you know, great speaker. And I think Stacey Abrams would do the same thing. I think she'd upstage. Um, um, that can only uh, help his campaign. But I think it's time to go. Is that true? Uh, yes, indeed, because it is time to wrap it up. So, uh, so thanks, Genre, and thanks, Sue. Uh, this has been Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. Uh, we've got a great mix of music coming up next, so hope you'll stick around for all of that. And a podcast of the show is going out to all the various services uh, probably over the weekend. And there should be a repeat airing on Monday afternoon, so listen to us again then at 4 p.m. And uh, that'll do for now, so thanks for listening. Good night. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com.